All right, here we go. You're listening to the Revenue Real Hotline, one big-ass experiment about all things uncomfortable conversations and sales. There were a few first principles that I halfway remembered while designing this space, but really, anything goes. As your attorney, I'm obligated to remind you that anything does not, in fact, go, nor are you a practicing mental health professional. Probably should mention that. All opinions expressed therein are our own. Anyone following said opinions has questionable judgment at best, and this podcast is in no way intended to treat, cure, or care for any general maladies, global pandemics, pandemoniums, or the like. Before we get started, I'd like to give a big shout-out to our sponsors, without which none of this would be possible. Amy, you're at a nine. I need you at a four and a half. Like, five and a half. Under six. Nobody ever listened to legal. I don't understand. We're like the one department you should listen to. Disclaimer. God, we're going to have, we need a disclaimer alarm. Karen! I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek, and welcome to my experience. This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Hooah! hard to think about this episode in a silo, which ironically is something that we talk deeply about because Dewan is someone that I've come to respect deeply. It's funny we mentioned the, our origin story, but that was something that happened back in January and there's been countless touch points since uh, relationship-wise. Most recently, Take Care, Dewan's Take Care story. And for those of you that, that don't know what Take Care is, this is a, it's an anthology of stories of human beings. And the idea is to normalize the journey that each and every single one of us are on. Anyway, Dewan contributed his story to Take Care, and it's something that we reference heavily during the episode. Let's just say I was looking forward to this conversation above all else, and it did not disappoint. We talk about stories. We talk about our experiences getting in touch with our, our feelings as, as sellers. For Duane, it was a, as a black man for me. You know, our journeys were different, but at the end of the day, that was a precursor to having deeper, stronger relationships just across the board. And then when we talk about sales enablement and we talk about how connecting with those around us and connecting departments inside organizations are all derivatives of the same themes. And I'm gonna stop trying to talk about it. And with that, my friend, Dewan Brown. All right, Dewan Brown, welcome to Revenue Real. We just talked about how excited I was about this episode and this recording and talking or speaking with you about uncomfortable conversations and sales. <laughs> and I meant every damn word. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here. <sighs> okay. I've been pinballing back and forth between talking about stories and talking about wellness and the current state of like sales enablement. Do you have a preference of where you would like us to begin today? No, I don't I don't actually have a preference, right? I'm I'm I consider myself to be somewhat of an open book. So you get to drive and and know that I'm along for the ride. Excellent. We're going to start with how you and I came to be friends. Yeah. Do you remember it? I think it was actually about recording this actual episode and it was an introduction from Jeff Bajoric. That's right. And the conversation, you know, between Jeff and I was, I gave, you know, here's the type of person that I would like to have conversations with, <laughs> especially, uh, you know, in the early episodes. And Dewan, you were, 
you were, I think the first person and maybe even like only person that he mentioned during that initial conversation. Wow. And then, you know, our, our, you know, relationship proceeded from there. And I guess like, when I think about why that was, why were you the person that Jeff Bajoric mentioned, you know, as everything that I've seen, and as I've gotten to know you better, it's become more and more obvious that not only are you on your own journey, something that I now know from the take care story, as we all are, mm-hmm. but you're at a point in your journey where you are advocating for journeys and storytelling and just for others really and not just advocating but taking action in multiple different facets whether it's the take care contribution and the the board of the new school that you're working on that's about to go live which I don't you does that even a word you can use for an actual school that's about to start <laughs> and then all the work all the work at sales for the culture and of course maintaining a high degree of commitment on the day job And then I think of others that talk about situations and I I want to be excited about conversations that are happening, but at this point, you know, talk is cheap. And so when I see human beings like yourself, not just talking about it, but taking action and taking action in other ways to bring back humanity and connection and relationship and community, I mean, it's just highly encouraging. So that said, like in your take care story, you mentioned that your wellness journey is a recent thing and you start off like at least how it starts right now it starts with your genesis story at the prompting of your your therapist would you share with our listeners what was it that brought you to the start of your wellness journey and we'll just take it from there yeah yeah first of all thank you for listening to the story and and i'm really really thankful that it that it resonated. The sort of therapist that I referenced in that story, you know, my wife and I have been seeing, you know, for about 10 years, but that doesn't mean that I'm on a journey to wellness, right? And so, you know, in the initial, in the initial, <laughs> in fact that, you know, I was kicking and screaming. Because it, no way. You know, because, <laughs> I mean, because partially because of the stigma in my own community, right? So for those who don't know, I'm a black man. And, you know, there was a stigma that I grew that I grew up with that I came to know as truth or believe as truth around our people and and therapy. And so I held to that. And even, you know, even at the prompting of like pastor and you know, my wife and I finally put some stipulations in place. Yeah, I'll go if. And so there was some criteria that had to be met. They were they were met. And so we, we began that process. And it wasn't because there was so much trouble in paradise as it was like, you know, we need healthy conversations that in some cases have a referee involved so that we can be heard. Both both sides can be heard. And we want to do that in times of health and in times of, of need. And so we started that process then, but it wasn't all about me. So it was about, you know, our marriage and like how we could live and understand one another better and, and, and work through conflict in healthy ways and and all of these sorts of things. And, and, and eventually, in order to do that extraordinarily well, our therapist in his wisdom recognized that there was a need to dig deeper into each of our individual stories. That's 10 years in the making. And so just yeah. over the last several years, there's been this process, even in those therapy sessions where, um, you know, at times I'll take an individual session, my wife will take an individual session versus us as a couple. And during those times, unraveling my story just revealed things that I had I had not considered as not problematic. I hadn't considered as impactful at all. Yeah. You know, I'm now in my forties. Right. So if you right. tell me that something that, that happened in my life, you know, before I was five years old, as an example, has now, now has impact in the way that I do relationship. That would have been, that would have been a bridge too far for me when we first started, but that's definitely a part of my journey now. And that's, I think that was the origin of that journey as it relates to therapy. The relationships. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I have a lot of empathy for men and I, I don't know very much about the black community in particular as it relates to therapy versus the white male perceptions. And I know it's not good on the white male side, but that said, I think it's easier for women to find their way to 
conversations about emotions yeah. Um, yeah. based on the society that we've all been raised in. And so that you have done it and that you have started your story with that word, it was just extra impressive. Okay, so you mentioned so many things in there and yeah. I, I, have, I have so many questions and, and it, it hit me, I guess just for context for listeners, I am working through the stories and doing an audio journal, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. after listening to each story as a, almost like a how I listened to this in preparation for other things that we're going to do with Take Care um, as it relates to facilitating listening yeah. and story sharing among peers. Mm. That said, awesome. I am also a human being that is going through a journey. Mm-hmm. And Dewan, so much of what you said about the fluid nature of hypersensitivity and the the pivots that we experience from day to day really resonated. And I want to come back to that. But also, when you spoke about uh, struggling with close relationships mm-hmm. prior to starting with therapy and prior to understanding the connection between the value judgments that we form as children, mm-hmm. You know, I can relate to that, but I'm I'm curious about how that manifested for you. Yeah, a number of ways, actually. So it's, it's a good question. When I think about the the sense given based on what I've observed in various environments that I've been in, right? There's the sense of the untrustworthiness of of us as humans. Um, and keep, you know, if, if that's the case, like if I believe that, so this combination of like lived experience, combination of observation, combination of belief of lies, right? That as a whole, humanity is not trustworthy. If that is the truth, then I should be guarded in my relationships. If that is true, that, you know, that broad brush can be applied to all of humanity, then I should sleep with one eye open, right? I should, I should watch my back. I should make sure that anything that I reveal, I'm okay with being known by more people than who I revealed it to, right? So I used to have a theory, and I, I don't even think I talked about this in the story, but I used to have this theory where unless I want the world to know, I don't tell anybody. If I tell somebody, then my expectation is that the world will know because I don't trust anyone to keep those things. And so that, that would be one way that those beliefs, those limiting beliefs impacted my, my close relationships. It also made it so that it was extremely easy for me to just leave people where they were. Right. So in full transparency, like, right. If, if you, if we were in a relationship, some sort of close relationship, friendship, however, that whatever, whatever type of relationship, if you did something to me or you said something against me or you where you treated me harshly or unfairly or any of those sorts of things, rather than confront that and, and demand a reckoning or, or expect a reckoning, I would just, I would, for the most part, I was just walk like, up, yeah, walk away. yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Like I expect that. And I understand why and how you did that or said that that's fine. You stay where you are and that's where you'll be. And so that's, that's just how I lived. And that's how I, that's how I did relationships. I did relationships up to a point. It, it never got, there was, there was never any depth to the relationships. There was always, it was always cordial and sometimes fun, sometimes exciting and, and all of those sorts of things. And these are friendships. Mm-hmm. But if, if we came to the point where you lived out what I believe to be true about humanity, I expected it and I just left you where you were. Um, and that's not the way to do relationships, but that's the way that I found to be the safest way for me to do relationships in light of what I believed. And it hindered my growth in a lot of ways for a lot of years. Mm. It's so like, I, I, I'm going to ask a follow-up question to that, but it reminds me as someone that also had her growth hindered relationship wise based on events in childhood that I was not aware of how impactful they were and the value judgments that I placed on them specifically as it relates to uh, safety, whatever. I talked about it on the Mercy episode. But anyway, so I think then about how the relationships that I formed with buyers Mm -hmm. and prospects during sales motions, which were always some of the richest experiences that I had with human beings. And it was 
and even unraveling like my own like hypervigilance around the harm that I saw happening. Mm -hmm. And so I was in legal, right? So access to justice was a big thing. So, but for whatever reason, I was always able to set those feelings aside because I had such an unwavering commitment to serving my prospects and buyers, yeah. especially in like category, just defining like services or tech, tech specifically like sales and uh, excuse me, seismic. Yeah. It's whatever. So I, I haven't figured that one out yet. I'm just like starting to think about it. But if you have any thoughts later on on that, like by all yeah. means, I'd love to hear them. The second piece about what you just shared, it, it kind of leads to another thing that you said and another question that I have from the story, which is, this community of unflinching friends, right. right? You made a, you made a comment about how it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. The question then arises to how to share, like how broadly to share the fact that you're not okay <laughs> and, and when to share it. Yeah. And also I felt you hard when you talked about the swings and you, you referenced being extra sensitive to the perceptions of others or reactions of others. And it, I saw a lot of myself in that with the hypersensitivity mm. and the mood disorder, right? Mm. So ADHD mood disorder, but I don't have these questions answered, right? I hadn't even yeah. thought of them in like a framework as distinct and beautiful as the way that you described them in your story. Mm. How do you even, how do you do that? How do you, decide when and what to share and with whom to share that's part a of the question and then part b of the question is um i just lost that thought so let's start with part a and hopefully it'll come back to me. yeah yeah you know decision making around how much to share how often to share how deep to share with whom to share that that, that actually boils down to i think the community that you build so there's a sense in which you know, again, through therapy, just thinking about risk taking as it relates to relationships, right? So that every time that I enter into a relationship or every time that I enter into a space where I'm going to reveal something that's true, accurate and real about my emotions, how I feel, how I'm dealing with life, these sorts of things, like that's a risk. And building a community, you know, starting obviously with my wife, right? Building up the muscles to be able to say what it is I feel. For the longest time, I couldn't even put my finger on feelings, right? Like, that's who I am. That's who I was. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just, you know, I don't like to harp on it, but, I'm, you know, my Enneagram type, you know, speaks to this well, right? Like, who I am is one who, you know, I, I couldn't, my wife would say, like, how did that make you feel? And I would respond weird. <laughs> weird. She said, that, that's not a feeling, yeah. babe. <laughs> right? Right. So, a word to the emotion right. and so like at you know practicing that in in real relationship with my wife and practicing that through therapy and then realizing that you're going to have to be able to articulate what it is you feel in order to get what you need at time not what you want but what you need as a human living in this wow. life you have to be able to speak clearly about what it is you feel or what someone did or said and how that made you feel so that you can build a bridge to reconciliation with that person should that be needed. And so like these exercises and practicing and then coming back to therapy and reporting out, this is how it went. I did it and I got the expected outcome where I did it. And, and wow, I was shocked. There was a person at the other end who heard, who responded, who sat in it, and then who helped me through it without judgment, without flinching. I thought when I said this to this person, they would melt. But when I said that to the, that person, they stood strong like an oak tree and they received it and they understood it and they walked me through it and they helped with that. So like really just this practice of doing that has, has helped me to identify and build the type of community that I'm talking about that is full of unflinching friends who I can say anything to at any time and they don't take it like longitudinal gospel, right? So, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who one of these friends, uh, in fact, the other night and I was just like, yeah, man, I just feel like, and I just went, I just went off. Like, I just feel like this. I feel like I was targeted. I feel like, whoop, 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 whoop. And all of these things that happened. And he was just like, man, Dewan, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that that happened, man. I'm so sorry. I, I completely understand how you would feel at that. How, how are you feeling about it? Like, just walking me, just walking me through questions. And as I answered those questions, I came off the ledge by the end of it. I didn't feel like I felt when I first started at all. 
and he was there and could and yeah. he was there and he was steady and he was stable and he didn't say well great day like what a what a topsy-turvy guy you are right and so it's just identifying those people who when they get to know the depths of you from an emotional perspective um, are able to stand firm and not have their views of you skewed either left or right on the basis of a statement that you make that comes from an emotional place, especially for a person like me that's new to these emotional spaces. So that 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 would be how I've been learning to deal with. Wow, okay. Okay. Wow. So the biggest takeaway that I heard there personally, right? So this was a what hit me and then I have a, I want to add a point of information for our listeners about, and start like yeah. sellers, right? And how hard it can be to pinpoint a feeling based on the story that I, well, whatever. So every time that we experience a conversation like that with an unflinching friend yeah. like that, it, it reaffirms our belief that this thing is possible, especially when the belief that is in the, the process of shifting, and Absolutely. it is a process, is, is really strong and like connected to a value judgment from childhood. And so I like, it's almost like, I want to be, can I, can I, can I meet your community? <laughs> friends? Cause you know, um, well, so there's that. And then, but when your wife said weird is not a feeling i'm reminded about so i actually spoke about this on the last episode but it was from the first conversation back in january so i'm going to say it again when i was at brookhaven which was an inpatient beautiful inpatient spot in tennessee when i realized that i was in mm -hmm. a bad way one of the first exercises that they had like it was a group therapy yeah. session and they handed everybody a sheet, a two-sided sheet filled with just one word, like names of emotions. And they even booked the, like grouped them by yeah. category, right? Anger, here's 20 versions right. of anger. And they went around the room and asked everybody, right? At the start of the meeting, and this is how we started all sessions, right? Including individuals, how are you feeling right now? The first time I was asked this question, and Dewan, I had the fucking paper in my hand with like two yeah. sides. Like I could not answer the question, not because I didn't want to. And don't get me wrong. I was irritated to be there in this moment, like looking back. But I could not connect the dots between all the words that I saw and how I was feeling. And, you know, hindsight being what it was after looking back on my journey as a seller yeah. for 10 years and then, you know, the breakdown, like I had learned very well, actually, how to yeah, feel yeah. nothing. And it was almost like a, a misinterpretation of how, or I'm sure I read something about how to handle the swings of the profession. And the idea was that I was just not going to feel the negative emotions, mm -hmm. right? The no's, the, the deals that you really thought like I didn't mind the nose at the beginning what really got me was the ones that I had forecasted yeah. to win like and to have those tank especially like when you're learning all the factors that could tank deal like that would hurt me but anyway I learned how to I tried I aspired to not feel those things and looking back though what and I got very good at it for 10 years but what I realized is that there's no such thing as icing out only certain only That's the negative fact. emotions when you when you <laughs> ice them when you aspire to ice out some of them, you right. ice out them all. Yeah. And so it it for me, and I can't I can't be the only seller, right? Not all sell like this is not everybody's journey, but I cannot be the only one in our profession that had disassociated from feelings. And now when I can connect that experience back to what you shared about, you have to be able to articulate how you're feeling and how it is impacting a need. Even in workplaces, like, so this is my brain is really skewed towards like how to facilitate storytelling at that's inside right. work cultures and peer to peer that's relationships. Right. So my like, that's where it's, it's, it's skewing to right now. But that said, like, how do we create, well, one, so I can empathize with sellers that maybe haven't started their wellness journey yet and are, are like where I was. And mind you, everyone, my emotions fucking revolted and I had to seek out like professional help. So like, there was nothing 
special about my journey about you know it was ugly and rocky and not perfect and you know and so for those that are considering whether or not to start there's you know hear me clearly friends step one is big figuring out how to get present and to label how we're feeling just as as Dewan said and it's a precursor to forming these connections, form like creating these communities, having these conversations that will help to keep us on the path of the new aha moments that we've like arrived at, like Dewan yeah. mentioned. And so, you know, hang in there. If anybody needs any help, like keep listening to the show, but also you know how to find me on LinkedIn. Sure. Dewan, how do we do this in workplaces? Like, so now let's, let's pivot. Well, actually, let me look. Oh, I remember. Okay. One last question. I want to be a sales enablement, but I remembered what the second aspect of the question. When I I want to share the my story, and I did last year, like almost to the day last year was when I decided to write my mental health story mm -hmm. for Sales Hacker. And I looked at Lindsay Boggs, right, who one of the founders of Uncrushed, yeah. and shared her story. And so there's a part of what I want to share right now, and and part of what I'm experiencing right now, and my truth, like. I am very afraid of talking about it in the way that you described in that sentence about when to, how to share broadly and when to share mm -hmm. and with whom to share, because I'm very accustomed. So there's two things. One, I know how quick the label of victim is thrown around, which like I do not identify currently as a victim. And I believe that that's an ugly word in many ways because I think a lot of people when sharing scenarios or stories where they were mm -hmm. a victim, that doesn't equate to them being and feeling and trying to communicate victim sure. in the share. Yet often that, that tends to be a very common mm -hmm. reaction for those that are, are less familiar with the journey. And it's annoying, right? And it's especially in like group settings, like I, I don't want the perception of being labeled as a victim to impede anyone else sharing. So I tend to hold back sometimes. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that part of my story, specifically as it relates to family relationships, like it is so fucking crazy and illogical, but I don't want any perception of sharing it to be interpreted as retaliation because I have nothing but love and joy. And I've found forgiveness and humility and like all the beautiful things that come with hardship. But at the same time, it's very connected to the stigmas around mental health, specifically trying to diagnose someone from afar without. Anyway, another reason that's keeping me from sharing this part of my story, and I don't necessarily have the answer, and I'm not expecting right. for you to have the answer, but even just speaking it out loud, like, feels good. Like, but given that context, and as someone that's physically sitting through it, like, what would you say about how to think about that? How scenario? to think about sharing the, I want to make sure. My part of my current mm -hmm. story, parts of my current story or larger aspects to my mental yeah. health journey is rich with overcoming the stigmas that keep all of us from seeking out yeah. therapy or I, health. I think uh, intent is huge. And I think intent is also something that is felt or experienced during one's telling of a story. And so with the intent of service and help and the intent of awareness and helping someone to get to where we currently have been or are in our particular journeys, I share in ways that I believe are helpful for the context that I'm sharing in. None of those ways are, um, doesn't diminish the fullness or the wholeness of the truth that I'm telling, but I still do try to frame it for the context, right? So like I, I'll share some things I might share on LinkedIn are the whole truth contextualized. Some things that I share of that same story to one of my unflinching friends is the whole truth contextualized for who my audience is, for who he who he or she is in that moment. And so I I, I don't I don't think that there's a so it would be different if we said, okay, there's one way to share your story. There's one way to share your story in such a way that it gives you some freedom and some resolution, but it also serves and helps broadly. If there were only one way to do it, 
then the consideration has to be a little bit longer and you have to be a lot more careful. But because there's no one way to do it, then you have flexibility and freedom, which is really what we want to, we, we, we actually desire anyway, right? So the freedom that I need in order to be able to tell my story in, in such a way that people are impacted by it positively and people are, 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 are encouraged to go internal and have introspective moments around these aspects of their own lives, right? There's so many ways that I can do that. It's like, you know, it's mm-hmm. one of the things that I always say, my mom told me, when I was really young is that you can say anything in the universe that you want, as long as you frame it properly. Now, again, now in hindsight, thinking about what that meant to me as a young person growing up, that meant framing meant really, 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 really carefully thinking about how and when and where and all of those sorts of things, which, you know, may have in some ways contributed to the the fact that I I felt, you know, I I was kind of numb and cut off in, in some ways from my story. But that being said, you have a million different ways to tell your story. And it's just a matter of like, uh, you know, attaching the telling of your story to the context that you're telling it in to the uh, the desired outcome for, for those who are hearing it versus ourselves. And maybe even in conjunction or in tandem with ourselves, right? I need freedom. I need to be the, I need to have freedom and flexibility. I need to be unchained as it relates to who I am and, and the person I am and what it means. And I need for that to land on the hearer in such a way that it doesn't engender pity, but it engenders an encouragement to seek that same path or some similar path or some similar freedom and unchainedness for themselves, right? And, and, and that is, is how I'm, is that, that is a part of the framework for which uh, I construct the story and the way that I tell it, then I found that, to, I personally have found that to be liberating. Wow. Okay. Like I was excited about recording this conversation. Now I'm excited to go back and edit and listen so that I could write all that down. And I mean, wow, spot on. Oh, you reminded me, everyone, listeners, I do a a playlist Mm -hmm. per year. And Dewan had a song that I I think it was Jeff Bajoric put it out in his Think Differently community. And I listened to it for the first time and I fucking loved it. So Dewan has a song on my Get Her Done 2021 playlist, and it's the Unchained, awesome. which is awesome. Now I'll link to that into the show notes. That's right. Okay, so that I mean, let's let's, let's talk yeah, sales let's, enablement let's, if you don't mind. Yeah. So there's a bunch of sales enablement tech out there, and there's a a lot of usage mm-hmm. of that word, and a wide variation of definitions of, and interpretations, both from the tech and from the job description and from the fill in the blanks. And I'm envious of you a little bit that you've got such a perspective from where you're sitting over at Seismic. As you know, but my listeners don't know, I've built a two sales enablement departments at this point. And the way that I define sales enablement falls into the early adopter category, but that's okay. We'll get there on everybody's own time. That said, what are some of the bigger observations that you have about the departments and the teams that are doing it right and treating the human beings right? And what kind of insights have you learned that you then take from motion to motion and incorporate into your buying experiences for your buyers about sales enablement, about what the profession can or should be and looks like and how to do it and how tech can support that mission to transition away from this idea that your team are cogs <laughs> that don't know how to manage their time that are not problem solvers all the things that tend to happen when i mean forgive me everyone in sales ops but when sales ops or at least for my in yeah. my personal experience i i yeah what do you what have you learned <clears throat> what can you share with us to give us some hope for a better future <laughs> and the treatment of sellers on sales. Yeah. Years. Interestingly, I think it's all interwoven in what we've already been talking about. I'm a framework thinker, right? So when I think about what sales enablement and really revenue enablement, go-to-market enablement, something that I, yeah, but I call it terms, it's the abolition of silos, right? So like, it's just, it's really about the abolition of silos because silos in any part of our lives prevents, this is what I used to do. I used to silo my emotions, right? I used to silo my response to pain. 
I used to silo my my discomfort. I used to silo. So like silos are not really good, except like I, I guess on farms, right? Like we, right? So, so I don't know yeah. anything about farms or yeah. what silos are. Yeah. Farms, but that so, sounds very funny. So like if you're not on a farm where you, you have a silo that holds like grain or wheat or whatever whatever that might oh, be, yeah, yeah. then okay. silos really don't have a place in relationships, whether that's business relationships or human relationships, uh, you know, human to human relationships. And so that being said, like freeing and being unchained as a human, I also desire to see systems unchained. I also desire to see organizations unchained. And so all of that has at its core a desire to see humans flourish. And in this case, we're talking about humans and business flourishing. First of all, I don't look at sales enablement in a silo as is, as if it's only impacting sellers, but I do look at it as a way to, if you think about yourself as a seller, and you described it, I think a little bit at the beginning of the call, where you just like, you had this real passion. I heard the same thing on Mercy's discussion with you, where there was like this deep concern that the problems that her buyers were having, she was there to help them solve it, right? And a part of that is the same thing that's going on in sales enablement is just that there's a human at every part of the at every part of the organization who has a deep desire to serve some other humans whether they're inside or external to the organization and there's some things that are chaining them and so from my perspective and I think our perspective sales enablement done well breaks the chains of organizations as they seek to serve the humans inside and outside of their organization that's why it's broader than just sales, because there's humans all over your organization. There's humans in the sales ops. There's humans in customer success. There's humans in sales, of course, and marketing and product and, and, and all of these places within your organization. And the, the way that you as an organization can better serve the humans that you're hoping to serve as customers and clients and, and, and so forth is there needs to be uh, wherever chains are, you want to you want to minimize them. You want to limit them. And, and some of the biggest chains within organizations um, are these chains that keep marketing from serving sales the way they actually want to. This is not trying to force something on somebody. This is trying to help somebody accomplish what they actually want to do. Sellers to buyers, buyers interacting with sellers. Like everyone wants to do something in an ideal way. And they believe that it's a service to the people that's involved in that circle. The chains and the silos have prevented that and have stymied that and have put constraints in place. And what you know, the goal of, of sales enablement done well is to remove as many constraints as possible, as many bottlenecks as possible, so that everyone can reach the goals that they have. And most of those goals are human oriented, and they just happen to trickle down into business outcomes, right? Uh, okay, so I got to get real here for a second. As some, like I, doing all these audio files, yeah. like that, I had some hard drive stuff, and there was, I realized that there was actually a glitch in, in my computer, whatever. So I've, gone through a lot of old files and as I wanted to keep editing and whatever I was deleting things that I had never used but it, in the process of opening all old talks yeah. that I gave as you know I used the speaking circuit was one of my favorite ways to mm -hmm. open opportunities I don't think there was a talk that I gave that didn't reference now mind you we both come from information services you Bloomberg right. Thompson Reuters and ubiquitous information, which is defined, everybody, as when you design data in a way that is actionable, because it's designed for that end user, right? Normally, we, when we think data, we think it in silos, right? Financial data, client mm -hmm. data, whatever. That said, I have been on the collaboration and silo busting soapbox mm -hmm. for uh, over a decade. And it was one of my favorite parts about the way that I sold enterprise deals and multi-threaded through organizations. I was never as limited by like the department I would work with right. because I saw the value that our, like, so we were using, I, I break data, legal data into two categories, business data and the practice of law data. And there was a tool called uh, Monitor Suite. So we were building predictive algorithms around how judges were going to rule or, or opposing counsel was likely to behave circa yeah. 2010. But when I got into like the business of law side of things, I realized that the way that we were air quotes predicting, because it was really events and how can you predict a win when there's so much like what's a win, a, a legal case, it varies drastically. But anyway, there was a ton of value for my 
friends in project management or pricing that we're not able to rely on the organization's data as well. So anyway, this thinking, right, that transcended silos worked so beautifully. And I, one of my favorite parts about the opportunities that I would step away from is the relationships that were formed peer to peer at the organization that then flourished when I, you know, went on. Then switch to sales enablement coming in house. And I do not mean to say that I am perfect, right? Because I'm sure the hypervigilance and the, uh, like the extent of the passion and the connection that I felt with sellers um, was a little bit deeper maybe. So there's that, but I didn't lose all those skills. I was a master, Dewan, at being able to do this, at being able to neutralize people that weren't ready to let the silo down ahead of the motion. And so my skills didn't disappear. My technique of trying multiple tactics until one worked based on the scenario didn't stop or disappear, but it was way harder, Mm -hmm. way harder. I found it to be personally just next level Mm -hmm. different in how the desire to drop Mm -hmm. those silos became. And I think of all the drama between customer success Mm -hmm. and sales, like and smart business as a department head to align yourself with revenue, right? And I'm with you that sales are not the only stakeholders for sales enablement, including every single employee of the company. If we're not bringing in revenue, guess what happens, friends? When salespeople wins, everyone wins. And I'll just give you one example. I was not allowed to turn on the attentiveness score in our Zoom instance, because I was told that it was too distracting for sellers. Mm. Dewan, my secret hope here is that you you bring me back to the light <laughs> because I'm a little cheated when it comes to this right now. But like I like if there's not an underlying belief about the human beings on the sales team and what it takes to take down those obstacles or what those obstacles even are or how we're thinking about them while they're not in the room, our lack of asking them, hey, what do you need right now? How is is this particular problem? How does that manifest for you? Exercises that we don't go through very often. Um, how, what would you say to that? Someone that was an absolute master at taking down silos, bringing people together, connecting mm-hmm. dots. Um, and one of my favorite dots to connect is product and sales, right? Every time a product and sales or marketing and engineering, every time a human being learns to communicate across that divide, a fairy you know, <laughs> has earned her wings. Like that's yeah. how I think about it. But it, what do you think? Why was that? And what do we do? For the others that may be in that same situation, or maybe yeah, no, I think I think it's I think it's fairly common. Like, I mean, you you, you have a, a specific skill set that, when applied in a particular context, yielded great fruit, made you excited, brought you to life, gave you a spark, and then when you sought to apply that in a different context, um, you had different outcomes, right? Or, or maybe you were early to the application. You were early as an as one who applied that particular uh, framework to the context that you were in. So. We could, we could say you might have been early, right? I think today, especially through the pandemic and the recognition that, first of all, silos don't work. I think that's become louder and clearer over the last 15, 16 months. But ultimately, again, thinking about what are the actual goals of people, the people, the humans within an organization, regardless of the size of the organization, I think those goals have always been to be unchained in the work that they do and to be unchained in the, the, the impact that they can have and to be unchained in the, the, the outcomes that they achieve through that work. People are scared, right? We talk about different fears that we have, like fears that I've had growing up all the way through now, fears that you've had growing up all the way through now. We talk about these fears, but we're not anomalous, right? In these fears. And so those fears also inhabit humans that inhabit the seats within these organizations that are making decisions as it relates to enablement or any other tech within their, within their organization. And so like, I think a part of it is just like, there's sometimes when you have a particular fear that needs to be overcome because of the time that we're in. And I think that's where we are in the space right now, where we know we have to better equip buyers to, to, to take their journey um, both independently and we need to serve them along that journey in various ways. And a lot of times that's content, that's social, et cetera. Um, we, 
stories. We also know that there's a need for each part of the organization from marketing to sales to just be more effective in communicating what it is that the business desires for their clients and their customers. And so I think that expanding mindset along with the expansion of the space technologically has led to sort of this marriage where now is a great time for organizations who are thinking, what does digital transformation look like? What's at the core of it? What pieces within our organization are actually a part of it? And how can we unlock or unchain the potential within our organization and drive the revenue that should be a result of unchaining that type of potential? And so when you have a solution that can help them unlock it, you just have to communicate that and you have to understand that as you communicate it, you're going to encounter some fear. You're going to encounter some uncertainty. You're going to encounter some holding on to the old guard because those were comfortable ways of doing things. And what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're posing is uh, counterintuitive in some cases, but even if it's very intuitive, there's still a lot of change management and uh, mental orientation that has to go around it. And that calls for patience just like in the relationships that we're talking about, right? So this, this, this idea that if someone offends me, rather than to talk about what the emotion is that I feel on the basis of that offense, I leave that relationship where it is. I walk away and I leave numb without actually engaging that conversation to get to resolution, which is actually the sweet part of the, the relationship. And so many people yeah. do that. They're just happy to walk away. Yeah. yeah. So, so taking that, what mm-hmm. you just shared, which was beautiful. For someone that is sitting in an organization Mm -hmm. that wants to start one of these uncomfortable conversations Mm -hmm. with maybe an inferior position or some past experiences of questions not being welcomed Mm -hmm. or, you know, starting with a blank sheet of paper, you know, that fear that keeps us in the current state, as you said. Question is for you, Dewan, for our Mm -hmm. listeners, how, and even in a sales enablement context, because for anybody that's interested in taking down stylos inside their organizations, the obvious answer is start a sales motion Mm -hmm. with the sales enablement tech that is talking about stories, that's talking about human beings. And if there's any question about which one to start with, I like looking at the investments made in customer success Mm -hmm. teams, hint, hint, wink, wink. (laughs) Dewan, what would you say to these individuals that desperately want to start an uncomfortable conversation with a boss or with an adjacent department with maybe some legacy mm-hmm. friction? Yeah, um, the first is the same advice I would give someone wanting to have an uncomfortable conversation with anyone, and that is you don't have to go it alone. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is, is so awesome about where I am is that we want to have these conversations with people who have these ideas. And we want to help them think through those ideas. We want to help them formulate maybe even best direction to go. We, I mean, we've done 700, implement, uh, 700 plus implementations. So it's like we have this mm-hmm. level of expertise within our ranks that we want to bring that to, the, to bear for those who are having those questions and wanting to prepare well for that conversation. And we can bring our resources to bear. Like we want to have the conversation. We want to talk through what the day in the life is. We want to talk through like what the short-term, mid-term and long-term goals are. We want to, we want to pair those up with what we hear and see being reported to the street by the organization from an executive level. And we want to help you bring together a case that makes sense of what the wins will be in the short term and be able to point to how those will relate to the wins for the organization at their objective level. And so you don't have to do that alone. You don't have to come to that conversation thinking that you're then on the hook or obligated to buy something from us. Like we, this is what we want to do because we want to see more organizations unchained. We want to see more people within those organizations flourishing. And we want to see revenue being driven because the organization keeps in mind that there are humans on the other end, those are their buyers, that they have a story and that we want them to be met at each point of their journey with someone who recognizes that this is not an easy journey to take at all. If that is you, you absolutely don't have to go at that alone. You don't have to have that conversation unprepared. You don't have to have that conversation without um, the an army of expertise at your disposal. Just reach out and we're, we're happy to help build the, the story or the case or whatever it is you need to be confident in having that discussion. Yeah, you know, I, it's so funny, Dewan, because I'm like super conflicted because I spend a lot of time talking about how there's three types of problems. Mm-hmm. 
it's very easy to to pursue a tech solution mm -hmm. in the wake of a human mm -hmm. problem, right? Which is a skill development, communication, or a process problem. And so there's an over-reliance of tech. And I see we see that played out with the, a lot of the buyer's remorse, the number of implementations that aren't successful, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. What I love, but so I'm that's where the conflictation <laughs> or the it comes from, but I'm still saying this anyway. What seismic represents to me is the taking down of silos that help an organization on two fronts wants to level up their go-to-market efforts which are a community or excuse me a well community a company-wide effort period end of story mm -hmm. and this is a tool that, that helps to do so and then even i think of peer-to-peer -peer learning and agility as it relates to pivots during digital transformations and coming back from mm -hmm. COVID or those organizations and teams that have done a great job. And it, it involves empowering the front mm -hmm. lines to iterate and experiment with different ways to deliver mm -hmm. value to the clients. And then I think about the seismic tech and how oh, like the 10 ways right off the top of my head, I can think of that the tech actually helps facilitate that and also maintain That's that. Right. Versus what like the companies that are investing in like a font police type <laughs> tool that gets mad when when you know the sellers don't use the same font for presentations yeah. like that and so just another seismic shout out in case any well I'll say it again listeners this is everyone's first exposure with how deeply I love seismic <laughs> it's fucking deep okay that said so there's a final question but before I ask that question mm. Dewan I want to ask about sales for the mm. culture. And then this school, yeah. this new school that you just mentioned, and I know nothing about, but I definitely want to hear about. Yeah, yeah. sales for the culture is, uh, you know, a community. Um, first and foremost, we, I think we're almost at 800 uh, members of that community is for black tech sellers or those who want to be in tech sales that are black. And the goal is really to equip, first of all, to attract, because we believe sales is a phenomenal career choice. Uh, so we want to attract uh, more black people into the sales industry. But we also, when, when doing that, we have to be, we have to have some guardrails up, right? Because it's not, tech sales for black people is not like, it's, it's a different world. So we want to, for those who are entering in, we want to have the, uh, a soft place for them to land so that they have community that looks like them so that they can have candid conversations, their challenges. We can actually let them lay out, lay out the land, right? What's real and what's not and how to look through these things and overcome and, and face challenges that they inevitably will. But at the same time, we want a place where they can grow and learn. And we want a place for those who are already in sales and leaders in sales and at various levels within the sales community and industry to come together and learn. It's basically learn, teach, learn, right? If you have something that you want to offer, we want to give you a place to offer it. And if you need something, we want to bring, we want to have a community for you to come in and, and actually receive those things, mentorship and training and learning and just tips and tactics and support and any of those sorts of things. So it's a really robust community broken down into sub communities from those who are not yet in sales, but are thinking about it or want to be AEs, SDRs, sales leaders. And I happen to lead the sub community that's earmarked for sales leaders. Woo! That's sales for the culture. I did not create it. I'm not a founder. Um, there's a phenomenal group of people who did and are and you can see all of them on salesfortheculture.com. And if you are black. Yeah, I'll take care of yeah, all the links yeah. in the show notes. Awesome. I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? Uh, you, you are, are black? black tech seller or if you're a black person interested in tech sales, we, we want you, we need you. Or know any yeah, black sellers know. in interested in tech yeah. sales or are in tech sales, yeah, send them. We want them. you, we need you, your voice is necessary. We wanna hear from you. That's sales for the culture. Dewan, I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Friends, white friends, when we talk about right action and allyship, connecting people with communities. Uh -huh. um, it's an excellent step. And th this this is not just any community. Like I know there's, but I, I mean, uh, I have nothing but amazing things to say. So yes, listeners, if we know anyone that a black human being that is in tech sales or aspiring to be in tech sales, this is the community, this is the place to send them and and probably 5x that comment for any 
aspiring black leaders that are looking to be mentored by a fucking amazing person like i would get your ass into mm. sales for the culture because i hear there's a great guy that's <laughs> on the leadership co- like team okay so now tell me about this yeah school that you yeah super about, excited sir. um been on the board of advisors for a school called imago day neighborhood school imago day um simply means image of god which we believe all of us are made in and so we are on the north side of the city called Richmond, Richmond, Virginia is where I live in the north side. And when we think about access to rigorous education and academics, we launch or start this coming fall. And the goal is really to just have first rate academics that's accessible by the community here, a safe and nurturing learning environment where every uh, student is celebrated, their value is celebrated as an image bearer of God, and that, that we have strong family partnerships. So we want to make sure that the families of the students are integral parts in how we communicate these values to the kids and with the kids in partnership with their parents. Um, And again, the fact that it's accessible to the people who are actually in this community, the, the, the demographic of people who are in this community, makes it really exciting to me what stories are going to be crafted, but also what stories are going to be combated, right? What lies will be combated at such an early age um, in in communities where at times people come through the educational system and for various reasons, not a lot of times it's just the teachers, but um, in fact, often it's not the teachers, but various reasons within the systems and the resources that are available and all of those things, access to like highly rigorous and, and great educational, uh, you know, great educational paths coupled with familial involvement coupled with like this celebration of who you are are things that have escaped escaped and evaded large swaths of the United States population and we want to just be a part of impacting that here in our city and if you want to check it out and if you if you if the mission resonates with you you can feel free to contribute as well um, but the site is imago day richmond.org how do you spell it imago is i m a g o and then day is D-E-I, richmond.org. And we just, yeah, we, we really want to have that truth that you are who you are at your essence. It has dignity and value. And we want to celebrate that truth. And we want that to be a part of the way that these young people are educated at their earliest years of education. That is amazing. I was failure to thrive too. And there have been many instances over the past year where I'm starting to recognize and understand privilege. Mm-hmm. When you shared that on your yeah. story, and my mom was like fucking 21, so she may as well have been a teenager, but she, she was married and she was white. And I was not taken from mm-hmm. her. She was not questioned. Mm-hmm. And mm, right there, number one. Number two, the thing that really started my understanding of my own privilege mm-hmm like within nine months so not judging anyone right but it's fucking real everybody cereal did the have you listened to nice white parents yes Yes, i have the new york city that's right right that's the french club right uh yeah the french club and then (laughs) some but like when i think about the idea of like coastal elites and all the liberal blah 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 and being a new york city resident for 10 years amidst stop and frisk and all that shit I think of coastal elites and the idea that everything is great, right? Everything's uh-huh. perfect, right? New York City, like, and that ends up being one of, the, this is a story, right? Nice white mm-hmm. parents about one of the most segregated school districts in That's the country right. and how it stayed that way since mm-hmm. the 60s. Yeah, so I'm going to leave that yeah. right there. And then the last thing I want to mention to Juan, I was in Senegal, Africa, as you know, last, last year, my friend from college, his dad, is building, he was with the IMF, is now building schools over wow. there. And I think they're about to do their fifth. And so what his his vision is, is to design the system, the framework, to then scale out this, what works education framework for the entire yeah. country. To remind me. To yeah, yeah. You with Del Delor, Delor's yeah. dad. If I don't say this, I'll forget it. But this is a man that you should... I bet you would enjoy speaking with him and he may have some things to share after having done it five times yeah, over. Yeah, it's awesome. 
That's awesome. All right, final yes. question. One piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. Uh, have them. The beauty and the joy and the freedom that is on the other side of uncomfortable conversations, especially as it relates to emotions, is well worth what it takes to, to rise up with a community of people or with friends and family who encourage you in that way to have those conversations and to enter into some conflict but come out on the other side. Like it's just a beauty that I, I didn't know for so many years, but to realize that I can mess up in a particular way or have conflict in a particular way and we can engage that conflict as adults with grace and humility. And then at the end, the relationship and the bonds are much tighter. And to enter into that level of relationship with anybody, friends, spouse, et cetera, there's a beauty there that you are absolutely missing out on if you don't engage. Thank you, Dewan. Thank you on so many fronts. I wasn't kidding. I'm like this, this community of unflinching yeah, friends that you speak yeah. of, you know, like, keep you know, it's dope. Mind. You know what's dope? Um, uh, what? 80% of them live in my neighborhood. So they're, they're oh, really? Distance, so it's great. That's convenient. <laughs> That's convenient. Especially as it gets warmed up and stoop sitting porches. I think there's something to porches and That's connection right. and That's community, right. you know? All right, Dewan Brown, you have shit to do. I have shit to do. Thank you so much for yeah, making no, time for today for us and our, our, all of our, I may, hopefully we're up to maybe seven, 10 listeners at this all point. Good, so, uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's baby steps one, one day That's at a right. time. And you know what? Fuck that. I'm not looking for an That's outcome right. here at all. Yeah. All right, friend. Have Thank a great day. Too. I will talk to you soon. Oh gosh. Monday. When did, so take care is the, the 24th, 24th. starts That's Monday, right? So your story goes yeah, live. Yeah, it's very interesting. No <gasps> nerves. No nerve. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Where do you where do you I, see the where do you see Hey, the, all growth. Where do you see the artwork? All where do you see the artwork? My guy Duncan did the artwork. So I know my artist. Yeah, really? My artist. I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that right now. Really? You see it Monday anyway. Oh yeah. my gosh. I it's so funny because I'm trying to balance with Mercy. But like I can't Alyssa and Mercy, I, what they've designed and what they've built and now like to, to have been brought into the inner circle to help and merge, you know, core competencies. Like, I don't, I, I'm still processing the fucking so, awesomeness so, and the impact so of what it means. So like, amazing. and there's nothing like yeah, it. It's so, so um, if you know any sales leaders that want to invest in their people and their wellness and the facilitating of mm -hmm. all human beings matter and sharing of stories and using stories to drive yeah. connection, um, send them our yeah. way. We like, sustainable business yeah, shout out too. to seismic because they they stepped up and they and they did that oh yes right. they did oh my gosh completely yeah. so um, is, is, has been super supportive of you know oh, you have the whole team that's coming that's right yeah, so it, that was you know that's that's <gasps> oh, just yeah. again a testament to who we are um again we're thinking about the humanity behind all of these things that we talk about um and putting action to it and one of one of those was just to um, make sure that our team had access to take care because it's that it, it's so that amazing important. thing yeah. I for completely forgot that. Thank you for saying yeah. that, Dewan. Seismic Marketing Friends, if you guys do any sponsoring of podcasts, our mission's align, <laughs> and I'm obsessed with you, and I will mention you every time from a place of love and realness. All right, and with that, Dewan, have a fantastic yeah, day. I will talk to you yes, very indeed. soon. And to our listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends. Thank you for listening. Happy selling. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. 
Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal, we are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff, legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to the, them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends, thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't, I can't, I can't. So this is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because... This is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroee, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. <laughs> um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just who cares it's an outro right like this is just gonna fade into blackness like the mars rover maybe a little bit less sad that was fucking sad oh let's not be that sad come on guys we can do better